0: what I'm going to share, I I do want to talk about something specific that I'm calling the invisible vice. But what I'm going to share about this particular vice, it really is kind of universal in its application. And so I'm going to be speaking about one thing specifically. uh, I want you to think about whatever it is that you're struggling, kind of sub that in if what I'm going to speak on this morning maybe isn't just a dead uh, center fit, right? But, But here's what's happened. Like last The last 12 to 18 months have been a struggle for everybody. Uh, Before COVID, before civil unrest, before political uncertainty, a, a lot of the issues that many of us struggled with, we could kind of avoid dealing with because normal life gives us a lot of opportunities to avoid dealing with our stuff. But you throw in a global pandemic with a lot of civil unrest and some political uncertainty. You quarantine people in their own home. And then all of a sudden, those demons that I've been running from, those vices that I've been running from, catch up to, catch up to me. And I'll spare you a recitation of the headlines, right? But on a lot of fronts for a lot of people, the last 12 to 18 months have been really complex. And challenging to say the least. And that language might not be strong enough. The last 12 to 18 months have maybe been the most overwhelming, the most depressing, the most anxiety inducing, or or maybe just the most downright miserable uh, months you've endured in your entire life. And I for one am glad that's in the rearview mirror. My family and I have pastored churches in northeast Louisiana for the last decade. And we uprooted our family last March and landed in Colorado Springs from Northeast Louisiana, March the 13th, two weeks ago, two weeks and a year ago. And right after we moved, the whole world basically shut down. We had no friends, no family, and no community in Colorado Springs. I was hired by Colorado Christian University, and I'm thinking to myself, like, man, they're going to start laying people off, like they're canceling class. The first person that they're going to cut is the new guy, right? And so it was tough for my family and I to, to deal with that transition. A thousand mile transition with the family of five is tough. We have a 12, 10 and eight year old is tough anyway, but that was especially tough. And just like I'm, I'm preaching, it brought up a lot of issues for my family and I. So we start praying through stuff, we start battling through stuff, we start reading God's Word, and God kind of showed me and and reminded me of some self-evident truths about life this side of heaven that I want to share with you and remind you of before we get into talking about what I want to talk about this morning. Self-evident truths, you, you know what these are. These are truths that prove themselves true time and time again in the trenches of everyday life. All biblical truth is self-evident. You put the Bible to the test, and it will prove itself true every time you do. All right, so so five of them that I want to share with you this morning. I'm teaching from John 1, but this is going to be kind of all throughout Scripture. So if you've got a pen handy and you want to jot this down, I'd encourage you to do so. I'm going to go through a couple of Scriptures really quickly. First truth that God reminded me of, my family and I of in the last year was the inevitability of suffering the inevitability of suffering jesus teaches about this in john 16:33 jesus says these words i've spoken to you so that you could have peace in the world you know the reference you will have tribulation not might have tribulation not could have tribulation not will frequently have tribulation you will definitively have tribulation. Jesus goes on to say, but take heart and the King James is be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. In life, you're going to have trouble. In life, you're going to have seasons of suffering, which means life is less about avoiding suffering and more about how you respond. Man, the struggles my family and I went through in the last year that you and your family went through in the last year has reminded us of that, and I'm, I'm gonna teach today some things that I hope will help you respond to seasons of struggle and suffering more biblically. Second truth God reminded me of is the insatiability of our flesh. Insatiability is not technically a word, but I was trying to find an I word that corresponded so I could stick with the theme, which makes me like Shakespeare. He made up a lot of words, right? Uh, the insati- insatiability of our flesh. The Apostle Paul is teaching a small group of believers in Ephesus about this concept that we'll never find satisfaction in the natural. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 19, he puts it like this. Having lost all sensitivity, this group of people that has sought pleasure in the natural, they've lost all sensitivity. They've given themselves over to sensuality. And here's what's really important. So to indulge in every kind of impurity. They've tried every sin that they can. And what happens? They have a continual lust for more. Now consider that for a second, church. Paul's teaching some Christians that there are a group of people who have given themselves permission to seek pleasure in the natural. And what happens to these pleasure-seeking people? As they've given themselves uh, the permission to seek pleasure in the natural, they find what everybody finds when you seek pleasure in the natural, right? You become insensitive to sin and completely and utterly unsatisfied. But the, the more stress we feel, the more suffering we're enduring, the more hardship we face, the easier it is for us to make excuses for ourselves and give ourselves permission to seek pleasure in the natural instead of surrendering in the spiritual. And if last year or the last 12 to 18 months has been as challenging for you as it has been for me, lots of us have given ourselves permission to seek pleasure in the natural. Ladies and gentlemen, what do we find when we do that? We lose sensitivity, the conviction of the Spirit. It's easier for us to do wrong, and we are completely and utterly unsatisfied. The scriptures call that having a continual lust for more. Too much is still just not quite enough. Hope to teach you some things this morning that will get you back on the path of spiritual surrender rather than seeking satisfaction in the natural. Third thing uh, that God reminded me of in the last 12 to 18 months is the intrigue of sin. The intrigue of sin. This is Mark 7, 21. Jesus says, evil comes out of us. Like nobody has to prompt Trent To be to be pulled towards doing the wrong thing, to violate my moral compass, to hurt the people that I love, or even to hurt myself. I don't need manipulating to do that. I don't need tempted to do that. I do that okay myself. To live is to be gravitationally pulled towards sin. Man, what we learn is that when we're in isolation, when we're feeling down and out, when there's a lot of uncertainty, that gravitational pull feels stronger maybe even than it normally does. And I'm hoping to share some things with you this morning that'll help you shake off that pull a little bit and guide you a little bit closer to the life, love, and light of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fourth thing that, that God reminded me of is the insufficiency of isolation. Genesis 1.27 says we're created in God's image, and part of that means we're designed for human connection. And you might be able to survive as a lone wolf out there in the big bad world for a little while, right? Like some of us lived through that. We surrendered our lives to Christ. The old friend group was no longer a group we could hang out with. And so we had to be a lone wolf until we find the right kind of community with the right kind of people, with the right kind of spiritual outlook to blend in again with, to to build some community with. And what was tough for me, especially as it relates to this, like I moved to Colorado Springs, beautiful area with the four people in my life that I love the very most, my wife and our three kids, but I got discouraged. Like I was telling you, I'm like, man, I just got hired. I'm the new guy at the job. They're going to let me go because they're going to start cutting budgets. I got, I got discouraged, disappointed, and I didn't want to share that with my family because I didn't want to dis- discourage or disappoint them, right? I didn't want to worry them. So I was keeping a secret. And when we keep secrets, what does that do to our feeling of intimacy in the people that we're close to, and the relationships with the people that we're close to? We feel isolated from them, even if we're living under the same roof or in the same room, right? And so even though I had the people I loved the most around me, I still felt isolated and alone. And hopefully this morning, you're going to learn some things that you can do to really connect more deeply with the people that God's placed in your life, your family, your church family, and feel better connected maybe than you have in a long time. I'm hoping that's true. The last thing God reminded me of is the inadequacy of our own will, the inadequacy of our own will. We need the Lord, we need his word, and we need his church. In those three things, we find salvation, we find guidance, and we find the support we need to live the life God is calling us to live this side of heaven where we're not just surviving. Man, so many of us have been on survival mode for the last 12 to 18 months. Me too. But that's not God's plan. God doesn't want you to just survive. He wants you to thrive. And, and I think what's happened is it's been easy for us to get caught up in invisible vices. And as a result, we're just trying to survive. And are we finding any satisfaction in those things? I've already made the case. No. So I'm convinced that the thing standing between you, who you are now... And the person you want to be that you know God's called you to be is this invisible vice. I'm going to share it with you. I'm trying to build the tension. That's what good preachers are supposed to do. It's like, tell us, Trent, what the vice is. Like, we're ready. Let's attack this thing. Let's do battle. It's an invisible vice. And I, I, sometimes I talk about this using a Lord of the Rings metaphor. I'm kind of a nerd. Um, and I've got a Lord of the Rings sword hanging in my office. Um, and, and in the book, if you're not familiar with the, with the story, there's a guy who has a ring that can make him invisible. And if he feels like it gives him power, but when he puts it on, it attracts like these dark evil people to try to come and take it from him. But he he keeps it secret and he tries to keep it safe and he thinks it's giving him power, but it's actually poisoning him. And it's not until he destroys the secret invisible vice that he thinks has given him power, that it's actually destroying him, that he's set free. It's a really good metaphor for sin in our lives. And that's, that's the point kind of of the lesson. And so the, the, the invisible vice that I feel likes maybe set its hooks in you that I want to teach you about, and you can sub in any vice you're dealing with into this discussion, is technology, is technology. You got it in your pocket right now. All right, so let me give you a fact To try to make my case, okay? The Nielsen Group, they do some research about behavior in the United States. Last year, published a study. And and in the study, the Nielsen Group was interested in figuring out how much time uh, people spent on their phones... In an average day. So they did a cross-sectional study. It was, represent, it was a good representation of the actual number of people in the U.S. And they, they figured it out. So I want to ask you, how many hours a week do you think the average person spends in front of a screen? How many would say probably five or less? Five or less. Raise your hand. Nobody. How many thinks seven or less, seven a day or less, nobody, you guys are tough now, how many thinks nine or less, nine hours a day, two, three, four, five, okay, maybe about half, how many think 10 or more, 10 or more, so so according to the Nielsen group, every day you spend 10 hours and 39 minutes in front of a screen, 10 hours and 39 minutes. So here's what this means. You spend more time looking at a screen than you do looking in the eyes of your beautiful bride or your handsome husband, right, or your precious kids. You spend more hours in front of a screen than you do talking to people you love, than you do participating in hobbies that you enjoy, right? The screen is the most, one of the most dominant features of your adult life, whether you know it or not. Let me give you another statistic. The Pew Research Center, also a group that's interested in the behavior of, of uh, people in the U.S., were interested, starting in 2005, how many adults in the U.S. had a social media account, right? So, so in 2005, they did a study, and they found that in 2005, 5% of adults in the U.S. had a social media account, right? Six years later, in 2011, they redid the study. And they found that 50%, six years later, had a social media account, right? Last year, they replicated the study. and What they found is that seven to eight out of 10 adults have a social media account that they use multiple times a week, which means three out of 10 adults are liars and feel ashamed that they have a social media account and just didn't want to tell the researchers, right? So why are people spending so much time in front of the screen, 10 hours, like if we could go back in time, I was thinking about this the other day, if we, could, if we could go back in time, and I could pull out a phone in like 1922, and I could show it to you, and I would say, people will spend 10 hours and 39 minutes a day on average staring at something like this, you would have laughed at me, you would, I couldn't have convinced you that that would be true. But that's the state we're living in. Now, some of you are wrestling with me right now, and you're going, Trent, Trent, Trent. Like, I use my screen for work, right? It's not all bad. And you're also going, plus, because of COVID, like you referenced, I've had to work remotely. And so I'm more on my screen now because I'm working remotely than I was. Okay, okay, that's between you and the Lord. I'm cool with that. And look, we live away from family. So we've lived in Louisiana for 10 years, Arkansas for four years before that, or in Colorado Springs right now. We use screens to talk to family. Like, that's not necessarily a bad thing, right? But here's the point. When, when anything in your life, you're doing 10 and a half hours or more every single day, you have to have a plan in place. You gotta have a plan. If, if a human being does anything without some measure of forethought and intentionality, the consequences can be and and usually are bad. Yogi Berra put it this way, if you fail to plan, your dads have told you this before, then you're planning to fail. So how do technology companies lock us in? Let me tell you a couple of things. The first thing is, technology is what's known as an attraction-based commodity, an attraction-based commodity. So there was a, a movie produced, a documentary called The Social Dilemma, and the whole point of the documentary was to talk about this piece of technology. And one of the interesting things they say, I didn't share this in the first service, is that if you're not paying for a product you use, then you are the product, right? And so, so if, a tech, if a piece of technology does not capture and hold your attention, then the piece of technology becomes obsolete and the company goes bankrupt, right? So technology companies employ, in some cases, thousands and thousands of engineers whose sole purpose is to figure out how to capture your attention and sustain it. If they can't, the company fails, Right? So they're trying to capture your attention and sustain it, and that has an influence on your brain. Let me give you one study from 2012. There were some researchers who were interested in what um, unintentional use of online video game play did to an adolescent brain. And and they did it for six weeks. They did a brain spec scan, positron emission tomography scan before the six-week length of time and after. And what they found is after six weeks of unstructured online video game play for adolescents, the regions of the brain responsible for decision-making and impulse control were significantly diminished. Okay, so I'm a counselor, right? And my office gets calls a lot more lately than we have because kids are at home, right? Um, And parents will say, like, Trent, My son or daughter just makes bad decisions, like can't stay in his or her seat, won't focus in, like won't listen. In other words, has some impulse control issues and decision-making impairment. And what most clinicians like me who answer that phone call would diagnose that child as, you probably know where I'm going with, with this, is as ADHD. That's exactly what those symptoms look like. Now, I'm not saying all... Uh, people who have ADHD have it because they're, un, uh, they're using uh, technology in an unstructured, unintentional way, but I don't want you to, to be naive to the reality that the vices you struggle with are literally changing your brain's chemistry. What is it that those engineers are trying to do to get you to uh, pay attention to electronics And then to sustain your attention once you've engaged with them, they're developing applications and programs that have the ability to release reward chemicals in your brain. And one of those chemicals is called dopamine, right? So here's the way it works. Um, You get a buzz on your phone and you look at it and it's an update that somebody likes your post or responded to a text message, or you, you find a news update that aligns with your political views, and all of a sudden you get a little bit of dopamine release. And your brains are designed by God to repeat what feels good. So when that dopamine chemical gets released in your brain, you want to do that activity again, all right? So if this, if this has to do with something that's good, if it's good things that are, re- are causing dopamine release in your brain, then that's good, right? Like when you were 16, and you got your first paycheck from your job, right? You worked 30 hours that week, and your boss gives you your paycheck on Friday. You run outside. You get in your car. You open it up for 30 hours a week. You made $62, right? That's how much Joplin made. He's a lot older than me. I made $125, When I see the $62, what happens in my brain? I get a little dopamine release, a little serotonin release. I feel feelings of potential. All of a sudden, I'm motivated. For the next 48 hours, I'm at the mall. Man, I'm buying me some shoes. I'm buying a new shirt. I'm eating at the food court. My paycheck's gone. It's Monday morning. I got to show up for work. What is it that motivates me to get out of bed? In part, it's my brain reward circuitry that's telling me, hey, Trent, if you get out of bed and you work Monday through Friday, guess what happens on Friday? You get paid. And so my brain's reward circuitry influences me to get up and go back to work, right? Why do I respect and and show love to my spouse? Obviously, God commands me to do that, and I love her, and she loves me, and it's easy. But when she says, hey, you're great, hey, you're handsome, hey, thanks for working so hard, what happens in my brain is the same thing. I get a little bit of reward chemical release. So when we're in an argument, why do I say I'm sorry? In part because I know if I do, that we get to stay together, I get to hear great things, that she tells me I'm fantastic, that she admits really it was her fault. She can see that now. So what happens when it's not good things that influence that reward chemical release in my brain? That can be Bad and in some cases, really, really bad. Addiction starts when a human brain's reward circuitry gets reprogrammed to prefer sinful means of reward instead of healthy means of reward. And here's what's really sinister. Usually, these sinful means of reward require a low level of effort now for a seemingly high level of immediate reward now. And things that are good and right and true often require a high level of of effort now for an equally high amount of, uh, of reward. If my family and I climb a mountain in Colorado, that takes a lot of effort, lots of effort. But we get about the same amount of payoff in dopamine release. But to Look at my phone or to play a video game or to use some illicit substance requires virtually no effort now for a seemingly high amount of reward now. But what's so sinister is there's eventually a much higher cost later with sinful bad stuff to clean up the mess that that sinful bad stuff causes in my life. But it sometimes takes weeks or months or even years before I have to pay that cost. And so I can get locked into a vice before I even realize what it's going to cost me in life to get out of it. Have you ever noticed? Let's see how bad it is in your case. Don't, don't, don't raise your hand, right? Let's just, you be honest with you and God How many of you have ever reached in your pocket and just habitually checked your phone to see if you got an update or a text or a like or an email only to realize your phone didn't actually vibrate or ring or get an update. You just habitually checked. Why did you check? I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Because your brain is craving a little reward chemical release and influences you to feel like maybe your phone just buzzed and reach in your pocket, and check it. This is what we call an addiction treatment, a craving, right? Why do people have a craving or an obsession about a particular drug? It's because their brain reward circuitry leads them to crave the thing that they've programmed their brain to know will release those reward chemicals in their nervous system, okay? Technology ends up then becoming something we've got to use more of and more of and more of and more of to get the same effect. This is known as tolerance, right? I got to have a little bit more to feel like I did the last time. Could that be you? Let me ask you another question. How many of you, while you're watching television, are also surfing on your phone While you are watching TV, don't raise your hand, okay? What? what? How can you do those two things at once? And some of you are like super crazy and got music going in the background, something in the microwave, playing a board game, looking at the phone, something on the TV, right? Why is that? That wouldn't have happened 50 years ago. Well, I don't know. I don't know, really. But one thing could be that your brain has a higher tolerance for those reward chemicals, and and as a result, requires more stimulation to achieve the same effect. So let me summarize all this in in a statement that I I hope will kind of give you a sense of what I'm meaning. You and I have a tendency to wrap our lives around, to wrap our identities in whatever scenarios in our life are giving us the most Reward. For some of us, the tendency may be not to wrap our identity up in technology. Okay. Well, I've mentioned a couple other things that have a payoff. You may wrap your identity up in the degree to which your spouse is satisfied in you. You may seek to find the satisfaction only Christ can give in your spouse. That pays you a little bit of reward chemical when he or she says you're great. Maybe that's your struggle. For others, maybe the tendency is to wrap your identity up in how much money you've got. And if that's you, I want to talk to you about where I want to go out to eat after church. And we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit. Some wrap their identity up in their careers. People tell you you're great, you get the job done, you're hitting your sales quotas, you're making money. Maybe that's your struggle. Most of us wrap our identity up, most adults, seven out of 10 that are at least being honest, wrap our identity up in the degree to which our social networking site connections approve of us. Approval defined by how many likes, comments, and shares we get on a given day. What's what's so sad to me about this is anything you wrap your identity up in other than the Lord Jesus Christ sets you up for feelings of depression, loneliness, and isolation no matter how physically close you are to the people in your proximity. What can you do about this? Finally, I'm getting to my text, all right? John chapter one, verses four and five. I'm not gonna keep you much longer. Here's what the scriptures say. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. Three things John's gospel teaches right here in this section of scripture as it relates to Jesus that I want to teach you briefly this morning. The first thing is that life principle. Church family, the place you are supposed to wrap your life up in is in the identity and person of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only life worth living is a life lived after the lifestyle of Jesus. The only satisfying life lived this side of heaven is a life lived after the lifestyle of Jesus The only true freedom you and I have this side of heaven is the freedom we find when we surrender our life and will over to the Lord Jesus Christ day after week after month after year. What has to matter most in life is that our identity is found in and defined by the Lord Jesus Not your spouse, not your social media, not your career, not your bank account, not any other thing in the natural. The second thing that John 1, 4 and 5 teaches is the principle of light. The principle of light. And I've always taught this differently until we had kids, and my kids are, are Lego building kids. And one time I had to walk through our living room with the lights off. And, and I got to confess, and it's good, for, it's therapeutic for me to talk about this. I almost lost my religion trying to make it across my Lego-infested living room in the dark. And I, God spoke to me and taught me what the light of Jesus is intended to do in life. I'm going to teach it to you the way John's gospel teaches it. So I'm going to reference a few scriptures from the gospel of John. John says that the only source of direction in life is Jesus's light. That's John eight twelve. Follow Jesus and we won't walk in darkness. So you, you choose your vice, right? Follow Jesus in that area. and You won't walk in darkness. The only way to minimize pain in life is to live in Jesus's light. That's John chapter 11 and verse nine. He does not stumble who walks in the light of, of the world, the light of the world is Jesus. So stumbling implies pain. If you notice, my wife kind of hobbling around here on uh, in a boot, right? She had an accident. We were doing an ice climbing expedition, and some bears came out and they chewed the ropes where we were climbing. No, that's not exactly what happened. We a curb moved places right at the last second. It was just terrible. Yeah. So you stumble and fall. What happens? It hurts, right? It hurts. That's the teaching in John 11, 9. You don't want to stumble. You don't want to get hurt. You want to minimize pain in life. Then follow after the light of Jesus. The primary means of lifting a feeling of darkness and depression in life. I should know as a clinician, this is part of what I do day in and day out. The primary means of lifting a feeling of darkness and depression is connecting with the light of Jesus. That's John 12, 46. Irresponsible, unintentional use of electronics will steal your sense of direction, increase the pain you feel in life, and raise the potential for you to be deceived and depressed. The remedy is to surrender our use of Jesus, our use of technology to Jesus, and to allow the light of Jesus, which is His teaching and example, to help us use technology responsibly and intentionally. Third, principle taught. In John chapter 1, is the principle of power. And when we fully surrender, Jesus will empower us to use technology responsibly and deliberately. Uh, uh, it's the spirit that resurrected the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead that will help us find the willpower to surrender. We don't have to muster up the strength ourselves. If Jesus is empowering you, then you'll find the strength. You will not fail. You'll have the capacity to live the way he's calling you to live, and you'll break free of the invisible vice of technology. So let me give you some changes to make in 2021 that I, that I believe will really help you Live set free of this invisible vice. Here's the first thing the first thing is leave the screen. Leave the screen. For most of us, the first thing we grab when we get out of bed is not the Bible, it's not our wallet and keys. Think about this it's our phone. Leave the phone, grab the Word of God, grab a book. Go make a cup of coffee without your phone stimulating your brain. When you're at a stoplight, do the person behind you a favor, right? And don't look at your phone. Just break that cycle. Don't constantly engage in technology every time you've got the opportunity. I've got books that I'll recommend. Joplin's got books that he can recommend. Man, invest yourself in maybe reading five books this year. Lots of people tell themselves, I just don't have time to read. I don't have time to read a book. Let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. If you're, on, if you're in front of a screen 10 hours and 39 minutes a day, you have the time. You got the time. You're just using your time to do other things. So get a book. Don't pick up your phone Leave the screen, and you'll notice you you begin to get set free a little bit more each day. Second thing, use the screen. Don't let the screen use you. Have a plan like we've talked about. Be intentional. Uh, One thing that I've tried to do, and this is more do as I say, not as I do, right? I'm still trying to work on this. Is set aside maybe just 10 minutes, an hour to check your social media or your email account. Not not 50 minutes every hour, right? Um, Look at things that are uplifting and encouraging. That likely means no news channels of any variety, right? Intentionally listening to music that's positive and uplifting, watching shows that remind you of some fun things you've done in life or some victories God has done. Whatever your plan looks like, I'm okay with as long as you have a plan. The third thing is do what I call an intentional dopamine decrease. So you really can't, like, fast from dopamine. It's a naturally occurring chemical in your brain, so it's always kind of in there a little bit. But here, this is what's happened, right? The generation after me, right, so like the 12 to 30-year-olds have this intolerance for a thing called boredom boredom. You've heard of this, right? So boredom. So what being bored means is you basically just have to sort of like sit around and watch the paint dry, right? Now, if you've ever had to do that for an extended length of time, I didn't ask this in first service. I do want to ask this, this service. If you've ever had to sit around for a long period of time and just deal with boredom, raise your hand, okay? So that's most people who I would say are like 35 years old and older, right? The, the, the people in here who are younger than that raise their hands out of sympathy. Like, ah, I'm going to say it. I'm going to say that's true for me too. Um, yeah, so, so here's what happens, guys. Our culture is more overstimulated than it has ever been. Our culture is more overstimulated than it's ever been, which means we're constantly flooded with reward chemicals in our brain. Seven, uh, tw- 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 12 months a year, Every, every day of our lives, right? And what happens when you're constantly overstimulated is you lose your ability to feel joy in the simple things in life. The enemy steals that from you. Why doesn't a sunrise feel like it's something worth getting out of bed at 4.30 a.m. for anymore? Because a sunrise can't compete with the stimulation you get watching the TV, looking at your phone, drinking a cup of coffee, listening to music, playing a board game right? Why haven't you gone fishing in years? We fished at Lake Afton growing up. I'm from out west because if you spend a day sitting on Lake Afton and not catching anything, there ain't nothing to look at out there. That, that can't compete with the overstimulation that our culture offers you, right? So you muster it up. You promise yourself, like, I'm going to go fishing. I haven't been in years. You go and you're bored out of your mind and you're telling yourself while you're out there, It's so hot. These mosquitoes. Like I didn't catch anything. Forget it. So I sit just scrolling through television channels and surfing my social media account. Fishing and sunrises and walks with someone you love, holding hands, talking about the day. Can't compete with that overstimulation. You want joy in the simple things to return in your life. Intentionally decrease some dopamine.